Hello again, this is Randy with uh, another in the series of answers to Chris. Uh, the question this time dealt with a recent um, incident uh, between Chris and, uh, and a fellow church member. And the question is, how I've, I've paraphrased it here, how to deal with those who are insulting towards other religions and those who practice other religions. Um, and uh, first, let me say to to Chris that you know, as has often happened, you already gave the answer in in your question when you said that you reminded him uh, not to judge others lest he, lest he be judged. I mean, uh, I think that was spot on. You didn't respond harshly or 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 judge him in return. You simply reminded him of Jesus teaching from Matthew 7 1 judge not lest ye be judged for with what judgment ye judge you shall be judged and with what measure ye meet it shall be measured to you again and why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye um, I reference the King James Version just because I love the beauty of the of the language um, and by the way <laughs> I guess to to one of your previous questions, Chris, um, where you asked about what legacy remains from my my Christian upbringing, I guess it would have to be that that I know all these passages exist. I certainly don't have them memorized, but I can easily go back and look them up because I I you know mem remember many many of them, and you know generally where to look and um, uh, so that's part of the legacy that maybe I didn't mention in the in the response to that question. But to get back to, you know, your question was, what do you say to him in a further discussion? How do you address this? And I think you have to be, you know, very careful. You, you won't change someone's mind by trying to sell another religion. And I think that is a disservice. I, I generally am against the whole conversion <laughs> concept, which I guess is antithetical to the, the Christian belief. But... Um, you know, I've mentioned before in other talks about different world views, different, you know, just the very, very top level mindset that we use to approach things. In the, in the Abrahamic traditions and Christianity in particular, tend to look at the world as that they've got the truth with a capital T and that there is no other truth. And that is very problematic in terms of dealing with others. And, you know, I won't delve into that further, but just to contrast the difference in the Buddhist view, um, you know, uh, the very name of the top level of, of Buddhism to which Soto Zen responds, you know, just like in, in Christianity, you have different levels and groupings. You've got, you know, uh, Southern Baptists are Protestants and, and the bigger group Christianity, which is in the bigger group of the Abrahamic traditions. Um, same thing, Soto is a school of Zen, which is a school of what's called Mahayana Buddhism. And the reason I mention that is because the root words there, uh, yana means raft. And that's important because of what it means in the description of how Buddhism views itself. Uh, all religions have their metaphors, uh, like Christianity has the metaphor of, of uh, you know, being lost in the desert, and, and you know, that comes up many times. Um, 
in Buddhism, one of, a similar type of metaphor is crossing the river. That, that uh, liberation is on the other side, so you have to cross the river. So Mahayana means the big raft, the raft to get you across the river. And the distinction is made very often in the Buddhist teachings that the raft is left behind. The goal is to be on the other side. The way you get there is not so important. And I could go on about other teachings and the writings of Dogen uh, that, that illustrate that further, but I won't make this talk too, too long. Um, so the Buddhist view is that the path is not so important and that there are other paths. There's other ways, you know, to get across the river. You know, maybe you could you could swim across or you could you could go across on a log or, or whatever. That's not important. What's important is getting to the other side and then you discard the path because you don't need it anymore. So there's a big difficulty there in discussing different religions uh, just because you know one thinks that they're the only truth and if and if they discard that then it calls so much else into question for them so it's a very difficult thing so what I would say is you know not to try and sell Buddhism or anything else to him but just to remind him what his own tradition teaches and I think that's very very clear first of all um, like Matthew 7 1 judge not lest ye be judged and there are many many other references like that uh, I think a very powerful one is John 12:47, where Jesus says, If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I come not to judge the world, but to save the world. And if Jesus isn't judging people, why should we? Um, you know, Jesus' teaching was very clear in Mark 12:29 through 31, you know, the, the first commandment or the golden rule. You know, the first is to, to love your God, and the second, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Uh, didn't say anything about judging, didn't say anything about loving other Christians or others who are like me. It says, love thy neighbor, no matter who they are. Um, one of the things I think a lot of people lose sight of is that the Bible says a lot of things, but we lose sight sometimes of who is doing what. The commandment to us is to love our neighbor as ourselves. There's a lot of talk about judgment, and I think a lot of people lose sight of who's doing the judging, whose role is that. And, uh, you know, I think it's pretty clear that judgment is for God alone. In James 4 11 and 12, it says, There is one lawgiver. Who is able to save and to destroy? Who art thou that judgest another? And again, there are many others passages along a similar vein, and it's summed up by you know one of those signs along the church uh, signs that, that the church has put out sometimes uh, that I sent you a picture of. It says, "If you fling mud, you lose ground." You know that sums it up pretty well. You don't necessarily need all this highfalutin old English from King James. That that sling sums it up pretty well. So, um, you know, that's what I would do, is I would remind him of the teachings of his own tradition. It's not me telling him something or you telling him something. It's if he professes to be a follower of Jesus, maybe he should go back and, and re-examine what Jesus teaches. Um, but having said all that, 
I want to go back and say the same thing applies to us. We should not judge him too harshly. Okay? Uh, because the same things apply to us. We should have, instead, we should have compassion for whatever insecurity he has or, or fear that leads him to judge others. You know, in my experience, it's generally those who have some kind of a deep-seated insecurity or fearfulness that, that are, are, are harsh on others. Those who are truly at peace. You know, you think about the people you know who are truly, truly at peace. Do they judge others? You know, the, the ones that come to my mind don't, you know. Um, so, you know, when people are are harsh or cruel or judgmental, I tend to think that that's a reason to have compassion for them because there's something deep inside that, you know, that's bad for them that's causing that. So my action is, in response, is to open the hand of compassion rather than to raise the scales of judgment in my hand, you know, like the, the, <laughs> the statue in the courts or whatever. Um, and, and how do I do that? Well, for me, uh, I just practice what is called uh, a loving-kindness meditation toward him before I meditated just now. Um, and that is a reminder to myself, you know, just like I was saying he should follow his teachings, it's a reminder to myself to follow my vows, um, as I would like to remind him to follow his. So. And, and the loving-kindness meditation kind of is where you meditate on uh, it's kind of a long description but basically you start off with uh, wishing happiness and safety and peace for yourself and then expand that to those you love to your family members and then expand it more to your friends and then expand it more to your acquaintances and you keep expanding it to include those who don't like you and your enemies the point being that it's kind of hard to jump straight to, you know, love your enemy. But you know, if you if you expand the circle slowly and take small steps, it's easier to do that. Um, and I would offer communication. You know, it's easy to fear or or dislike or even hate somebody anonymously, an anonymous group or a labeled group. But it's harder to do that face-to-face, -face, or at least for most people, it's harder to do that face-to-face. -face. Because when you meet somebody face-to-face -face and you realize they've got the same issues we do, they want a house, they want a roof over their head, they want food, they want safety and security, they want, you know, to take care of their family, and regardless of their skin color or their beliefs, they're human like we are. Um, and, you know, if he were to meet me, you know, it might be surprising for him because I look like the average wasp. In fact, I was born and raised white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, and I'm still the first three. Um, I guess maybe I don't look Buddhist, <laughs> which raises the question, what would Buddhist look like? There's even a book out saying, you know, the title is, you don't look Buddhist. But the funny thing is, is that uh, I guess I am uh, pretty much representative of Buddhism in America. As a matter of fact, we took a. If I show you group photos from our sangha, it's basically mostly middle-aged white guys, some women, um, some minorities, but you know nothing 
out of the ordinary, not particularly an Asian look, not particularly uh, a young look or or a hippie freak look or you know it looked just like your next door neighbors uh, and you know we could uh, meet sometime when I'm in Birmingham I would be happy to do that in a non-confrontational way uh, you know he could meet a real live freak without having to pay the ticket at the circus you know <laughs> if he considers us a freak show uh, we could have coffee together and learn that we are each only human but yet to be human is to be a child of God and or we would say filled with Buddha nature um, you know I, I think one-on-one -on -one meetings and one-on-one -on -one dialogue go a long way I guess speaking of dialogue you know you could invite him to listen to this talk you could send him the link or you could have him over to your house and play it for him or you know something like that if you think it might be useful um, he might even find something to learn from Buddhism if he was open to to listen just like the other uh, church sign that said uh, if you shut up you might hear God and I'm, I'm using his words when I say shut up sounds kind of harsh um, but Zen teaches exactly that, that, that meditation, the whole point to meditation is to still the self and quiet the ego so we can hear God, the divine, the Dharma, the Buddha nature. Um, but again, that's not something to force down his throat. It's something for him to, to see and you know think about if, if he wants to. So I would thank you. Um, for standing up for us you know you basically uh, were the Good Samaritan like in in Luke chapter 10 the Good Samaritan was the one who was willing to stand up for what was right you know and it's not right to let uh, prejudice go unchallenged you know who was it Edmund Blake uh, one of my favorite sayings is that the only thing necessary for evil to prevail is for a good man to do nothing or something like that and, and, and that's, yeah, boy, use that word evil. I'm not saying this guy's evil. No, no, no. But the point is, that's the beginning. You know, the Nazis didn't go out and, and kill six million Jews overnight. They started off with a smear campaign, with an insidious little, you know, first you def define a group. You, you make a separation between them and us and then you start categorizing them somehow less than normal, less than human, less than like you and me. And then you start assigning uh, bad acts to them. And you know, you keep doing that kind of thing long enough and then you start passing laws so that according to law they're not equivalent human beings to everybody else and then you can start persecuting them and it all starts with not loving your neighbor as yourself, as setting a difference between us and them and a justification for considering them less than yourself so I really appreciate that you stood up for that and and again it's not just me it's um, the teachings of Jesus in, in James 417 therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is a sin or as we call it the sin of omission you know so you did a good deed and I you know speaking as a as a minority 
I really appreciate that. But to go back to, again, not to judge this guy too harshly, um, I'm asking, you know, I would ask him to practice his faith. I practice my faith. Um, I mentioned to you in one of these talks about ritual that I have a little ritual when I when I meditate where I sit and I read uh, various uh, sutras. We call them sutras that basically translate to scripture. And the one I read today um, was uh, in Pali called the Metta Sutta. It translates to the Loving Kindness Sutra or Loving Kindness Scripture. And since we referenced a lot of, of Christian passages above, and, and nobody else knows the, the Buddhist ones, I would like to read this for you to give you an idea of what the Buddhist perspective is. Um, this is considered so important that it's in the Soto Zen liturgy. It's in the Thursday liturgy, so I, I read it a day early, but I thought it was appropriate. And this is just like a one and a half page. Uh, it's less than that because these are big print and it's, you know, it's in a chant book. So anyway, you don't have to be too patient. So here goes. The Loving Kindness Sutra. This is what may be accomplished by the one who is wise, who seeks the good and has obtained peace. Let one be strenuous, upright, and sincere without pride, easily contented and joyous. Let one not be submerged by the things of the world. Let one not take upon oneself the burden of riches. Let one's senses be controlled. Let one be wise but not puffed up. Let one not desire great possessions even for one's family. Let one do nothing that is mean or that the wise would reprove. May all beings be happy. May they be joyous and live in safety. All living beings, whether weak or strong, in high or middle or low realms of existence, small or great, visible or invisible, near or far, born or to be born, may all beings be happy. Let no one deceive another, nor despise any being in any state. Let none by anger or hatred wish harm to another. Even as a mother, at the risk of her life, watches over and protects her only child, so with a boundless mind should one cherish all living things, suffusing love over the entire world, above, below, and all around without limit. So let one cultivate an infinite good will toward the whole world, standing or walking, sitting or lying down, during all one's waking hours. Let one cherish the thought that this way of living is the best in the world, abandoning vain discussion, having a clear vision, freed from sense appetites. One who realizes the way will never again know the cycle of creation of suffering for ourselves or for others. So I hope that wasn't too long and, and that you found something interesting in that. So you might have noticed that I often end a talk with a passage from the Metta Sutra. And it's the simple line, and this is the way I will sign off today. May all beings be happy. May they be joyous and live in safety. <laughs>